Hello, welcome, welcome back. Glad you're here. This is the Do Big Things podcast, episode number what is this? Seventy-eight, seventy-nine, something like that. Why in the world am I putting out two podcasts a week all of a sudden? Well, because I keep finding really cool people who are doing big things. My guest today, Lucy Beatrix, is no exception. Uh, she was in the fashion modeling world, and now she's a really, really fast runner. And I wanted to hear her story. Uh, she's about two years sober as well, which is something we have in common. Uh, she's got a really cool, unlikely story, and I admire her. Her discipline, her journey. Um, did I mention she's really fast? She is really fast. I mean, you don't hear of that very often, right? Someone who is a model who turns into a really fast elite runner. I absolutely love people who go against the grain, and I know you're going to love her too. She's coming up in just a minute. Have you guys heard of Exoskin? If you haven't, you've been living under a rock. Their stuff is fantastic. They make a full range of apparel from hats to socks and everything in between. Exoskin is the only seamless athletic apparel brand in the United States, and all their stuff is made here in the U.S. as well. Their apparel is super comfortable and great at providing protection from chafing, blisters, and hot spots, as well as odor. If you're into anything outdoors, you've got to check them out. Their stuff has been through the most challenging races in the world. The Barkley, the Badwater, the Moab 250... Uh, Cocodona just happened. I bet you anything there was some exoskin out there. They stand behind their product with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So you got nothing to lose. If you wear it and you're not convinced, send it back for a full refund. So give them a shot. Why wouldn't you? Um, you got nothing to lose. Check them out. Their website is exoskin.us. That is spelled X-O-S-K-I-N dot U-S. And we have a promo code. Use our promo code for 20% off. Code is BTC, all caps, for big things crewing. This podcast is also brought to you by On Pace Wellness. Will Benitez is working with some of the best athletes around and helping them find even more success. This guy knows what he's talking about when it comes to nutrition. He doesn't like the word diet, as I'm sure most of you don't either. He can help you no matter what your eating habits are. He'll listen to you, you personally, find out what's been working for you, and then make some suggestions and tweaks that are going to help you light 2021 up in a big way. You want to take your fitness to the next level? Contact On Pace Wellness. Maybe you're not an elite athlete. Maybe you just walk your dog every day or yeah, just go for a walk every day. I don't know. And you still want to be healthier and feel better on the day-to-day. Contact On Pace Wellness. Mention this podcast and he's going to give you a 10% discount and get you properly tuned up for success. Check them out, you guys. Last but not least, this podcast is brought to you by Athletic Brewing. Great tasting, non-alcoholic beer. This is high-end craft beer. It tastes exactly like or better than the dark and hoppy beers we all enjoy. They have IPAs. They have everything, you guys. This is craft beer. This isn't this ain't your standard O'Duels, baby. I personally 
don't drink alcohol anymore, but I can still have a tasty beer without all the negative side effects. You can have one in the middle of the day, not worry about driving. You can have a couple at night and not have to worry about being groggy in the morning. There's no hangover with this stuff because there's no alcohol. Check them out, athleticbrewing.com. Use my discount code, McRobertsA20, all caps, M-C-R-O-B-E-R-T-S-A, and the number 20, all caps, for 20% off, the best NA beer around. Buy two six-packs or more, and you don't have to worry about shipping costs either. Enjoy the taste without the hangover. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to present Lucy Beatrix. Put your hands together. This is the Do Big Things Podcast, where we want to inspire you to do big things. This podcast is brought to you by Big Things Crewing, a service for ultra runners from beginner to elite. Not only can we get you trained up, but we can also crew you into the finish line. Find us at big-things-crewing.com. Now, here is your host, Adam McRoberts. Here we are. This is another episode of the Do Big Things podcast. Uh, I've got a great guest for you guys today. Lucy, introduce yourself if you don't mind. Hi, everyone. My name is Lucy Beatrix, and I'm a New Yorker. I live in New York. Um, I'm an athlete. I used to be a fashion model for over a decade. Uh, I have a very unlikely path towards competitive running, but I found myself somehow here running fast in the city and going after really big dreams. I love unlikely paths. That is my favorite. So um, let's get into it. How did you, how'd you get into modeling? You started when you were like 18, right? Like how did it all start for you? Younger than that, actually the first job I ever had, I was 13 years old uh, for the local newspaper. And uh, then, you know, I was working in a gift shop when I was 16 years old and a lady came in and said, Uh, this was in St. Louis, Missouri, where I'm from. Uh, She just looked at me and said, I think you could be a model. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know anyone else who was a model, but sure enough, she put me in front of the right people at the right time. And I landed my first contract at 16 years old and started traveling the world to work. And um, by the time I was 18, I signed my first major contract in New York City. And that's when I moved to New York City alone and was working with Ford models for a really long time uh, throughout my 20s. And so, yeah, modeling kind of took off when I was a teenager and carried me through all the way through my 20s. Wow. Um, So you started when you were 16. Did you have parents that supported this sort of thing? My parents um, came from the mindset of just let us let, I have four sisters and so five girls total in my family. They my parents were, let us be very independent. They just said, oh, whatever you guys want to do, if your heart is in it, go for it. And okay. with modeling, nobody in our family really knew what that would entail. But um, sitting there with a contract at 16, my parents just said, you know, if this is what you want to do and you feel like it's something that you're into, by all means, go to Greece and model and go, you know, go oh. to wherever you have to go. But 
at the same time, they were also very um, trusting that this could work out because they didn't go with me. They weren't holding my hand throughout every step of the way. They just kind of let me go fly by the seat of my pants and figure it out for myself. But uh, I think that just speaks to the type of parents that I had that were just like, I don't know, they, my parents are great. They, you know, they, they definitely have their, they have their quirks. And I think the way they approached my modeling career of just letting me go figure it out for myself was uh, very telling of their parenting style, but I wouldn't want it any other way. Yeah, totally. Were they like hippie parents? Uh, yeah, actually, no, okay. So my mom, uh, my mom's TikTok, she's very TikTok famous. Actually, my mom is actually one of these baby boomers who's viral on TikTok. And her handle is PD's hippie mom because she has a dachshund named PD. And um, she considers herself the hippie mom. But yeah, my mom is a full blown hippie, wears Birkenstocks to fancy (laughs) events. Um, Pretty sure she's going to be wearing Birkenstocks at her own wedding that she's having uh, this (laughs) month. And so, yeah. And then my dad was also a very free thinking um writer and of that creative uh mindset so yeah my parents are kind of out there awesome I love it what kind of writer was he uh he was a food journalist um he passed away about three and a half years ago unfortunately very suddenly uh, but he had a very long amazing career as a food journalist for the local newspaper the St. Louis Post-Dispatch so that meant that growing up we were always being pulled along on all of his restaurant reviews and uh, part of the process of him experimenting with recipes and yeah, so he had a, a really interesting career and that was also kind of an unlikely thing to get into considering he went to college for computer sciences and then suddenly was like this food writer. So the idea of like an unlikely career, that's so normal for my family and my, my parents seeing my modeling potential, like once that popped up, they were like, yeah, yeah, just do it, whatever. Like if you feel like it, go for it, whatever your heart's in, just go towards. Wow. That's cool. Um, what are your sisters into? Do they have Um, unlikely careers as well? uh, None of them have modeling careers, but they could have been models, but they do all kinds of different stuff. I have one sister who does murals. Like she paints murals around St. Louis. Another sister works at a theater. Uh, like doing like event planning. Uh, another sister is into the academia. She's really into teaching and she actually works at a college. And um, then the other sister is a stay-at-home mom. But um, yeah, they all they all have their interesting endeavors. We're all very different. You wouldn't even know. Um, we're only three and a half years apart altogether. We're very wow. close in age, but we have very different lives. Well, <laughs> but cool. yeah. So cool. Okay. So I don't know tons about the modeling world. Um, so enlighten me. Like when I think of modeling, I think of a lot of traveling, uh, food disorders, cocaine and runways. (laughs) Am I wrong there? Or tell me like what the life was like. It's funny. So like there's different kinds, there's different worlds within that world. Like, yeah, yes. There's, you can find the cocaine jet setting, models and the crazy parties and the celebrities that's definitely there um but there's also this other side of the industry that is the girl with the long career that has to take care of herself so she's really into health and honing in on how to stay um relevant but also take care of yourself enough to be able to travel the world on a that the drop of a hat 
And I feel like I kind of fall in the very middle of both of those where I saw both sides. I saw the crazy sides. Um, I saw the, the nightlife sides, the promoters, the underbelly of the industry, as well as really made it my mission to focus on how to be optimal and be able to perform in such a highly competitive um, industry, as well as have the kind of health and energy that it took to be able to perform on set and look good and look the best I could look for the jobs I had to do. Um, so I think that like, it's funny to think that I got to take a, a, get a taste of both sides of it. Like the dark, scary chain smoking party girl side, as well as the, I need to take care of my body. If I'm going to really make this my career for a long time side. Mm -hmm. If I understand right, you just celebrated two years sobriety. I'm celebrating two years sober in 12 days, no, 11 nice. days, 13. Thank you. Um, and so it's coming right up. I did Congrats. just celebrate the mark a few weeks ago and 700 days felt like a big, like, it's like, there's always some celebration of like how many months or whatever. And yeah. so to be so close to two years feels uh, very exciting. Uh, so that's, that's very exciting. I just hit uh, two years myself. Oh, so really? What's your sober birthday? Oh gosh. I knew you were going to ask me that. Um, it's funny because I sort of have two sober birthdays. Like I quit drinking uh -huh. on my own with no program and, and thought I could do it that way. And then I yeah. continued to like use cannabis and whatever I else I could get my hands on. And then it didn't work for me. Yeah. And I ended up in a 12 step program. So, um, so yeah. Um, so I hit two years, uh, gosh, what was it? January 25th. Nice. Oh yeah. my gosh. That's a Thing. I yeah. love the two mark is this whole other thing. Like, I feel like in sobriety, you have these milestones and I'm really seeing the difference between one year and now going into two years. It's yeah. just so different, <laughs> but yeah. Okay. Well, I want to get into all that, but we're not there in the story yet. So, okay. okay. So, um, you're 18, you moved to New York all by yourself and you got this <laughs> modeling gig. Um, what's uh, a day in the life you said you, you caught some of the, the dark underworld part of it. And you were also sort of taking care of yourself. So were you like stuck in the middle between these two worlds and experiencing both or, or what was your life like at that age? Yeah. Um, great question. So when I first moved to the city by myself, I had my own apartment in Chelsea, um, in like in, in Manhattan here. And I had this amazing contract, but I didn't know what that meant. So I'm just, I signed my name. I'm under contract with one of the best modeling agencies in the world. And basically every day, my agency would send me on castings, a bunch of like, I would go from appointment to appointment with my portfolio and try to get booked on jobs. And so from the start, from the very first day that I signed, I was whisked away to see the, like a big casting director, have her look at me and see if she wanted to use me for any jobs. And um, I mean, that first week I was having like, you know, dozens of castings as well as getting things fixed. Like I had to get my teeth fixed. I had to go get veneers. I had to go, um, get my hair cut. I had like, there's like a million things that suddenly the agency is like in charge of what you look like. Oh, wow. And so from the start, I remember just thinking like, who am I? Like, I just like, this is like this weird, like, Oh, like my teeth are being, I'm sitting in a dentist chair, not because I have a cavity, but because I need to have my front teeth look perfect for whatever possibilities could come my way. 
And suddenly like my likeness belonged to somebody else, my, to my agency. Mm. And that also included my body. So, you know, you have your, a tape measurer taken around your waist and your hips every couple of weeks, and you have to stay in check. And so, uh, it almost felt like every single minute of my day was about, was dedicated to, um, somehow altering or preserving a part of how I look to then try to make a living. And so that just meant that each day was either about going on casting and trying to put my best face forward and bring energy or make sure that I was fueling in a way that was going to like make me look good enough to get these castings. Mm. But it's a slippery slope when you're all by yourself as a teenager in New York. Cause I feel like I had a lot of downtime where I didn't know what to fill that with. And I'd be in between castings wondering, well, what should I have for lunch? And like, is it okay to have this? Or like, should I have this? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it didn't take very long to suddenly like stumble into the, the throes of being unsure of how to fuel and then fueling the wrong way and then feeling guilty and all the things that come with like a disordered, a quote unquote disordered eating habit. Or um, even just not knowing how to be social and hanging out with people that maybe weren't caught up with the best stuff. And like, there are a lot of club promoters that circle around those castings and try to pick up vulnerable girls and take them out. And I know I got swept up in that, but that was because I didn't really have friends. And I just met some people and, um, you know, they were like, hey, come, come with us to this, this party going on later tonight. And I look back at it now, it's been so long, but I look back at 2007 and I think about those crazy nights and I'm just like at this party and there's celebrities there and I'm like, how did I get here? But yeah, it was kind of a wild time when I first moved here. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Um, is there, is there really like a dark, creepy underbelly side to, to modeling that you experienced at that young age? Um, were you taken advantage mm -hmm. of in any way? Um, Yes. So I was lucky that I had a certain sense of morals and things that I knew I was never going to do. And right. I know that my agency, who was a great agency, they were never going to put me in harm's way. Like they, they were really professional. Okay. Like there was no sketchiness. It was pretty straightforward. And I mean, like the kind of jobs they were throwing my way, it was like for big names and big productions and stuff. So like there wasn't a creepy side. The creepy side came with the people who, on the outskirts of that who knew where to be and knew how to insert themselves into that world. And maybe, I don't know, like I feel like the, ki the kinds of people that I look back at and I go, oh, that was a creepy situation. It was never through like my official job. It was through some other way that I met them or something. So it was just kind of like the people on the outskirts of it. And, um, luckily, yes, I had some, I had some weird instances. I had some weird shoots. I maybe didn't want to do. I've maybe had some like creepy photographer comments here and there, but the, the stuff that looks, I look back at, and think was particularly uncomfortable weren't with like the actual job itself, if that makes any sense, but more of like the people kind of like in the nightlife or people who, I don't know, tried to make themselves seem like they were very powerful and getting certain jobs booked, but they actually weren't looking back. Mm, yep. Okay. That makes sense. So are you trying to maintain like a certain body image at that young age? Like, um, I, I did some reading on you and it, eventually it sounded like you didn't know how to cook right off the bat and you were eating like fast food or, you know, take out uh, food yeah. or whatever, but did you have to maintain this certain body image or wh what did that look yeah. like? 
so like I, you know, when you sign, you're basically saying, um, I'm going to present myself in the way that my agency wants me to present myself to clients and stuff. And for them, there's a certain size, there's a certain way that my agency wanted me to be. And that was what what they signed me for. Mm -hmm. And they definitely emphasized, um, health like they weren't they yes like the measurements like that that is like an actual amount like a measure like the, the, you are going to be this hip size this is what we're saying you are to, to designers and stuff we're saying this mm. is your size but um so I had to maintain that size and keep that size but that that said they also did want me to just look healthy like they wanted my skin and my hair and my nails to present that I'm like a healthy person to book so in a weird way, it's funny because I look back and I'm like, gosh, like there, people would say that the, the size requirements would fuel a lot of disordered eating, but really I do see how like, they also did emphasize health too. And luckily at my agency that I was with, there was a board and a division for people who, of all sizes. There's people who are plus size, people who are straight size, people who are fit athletic size. So like there was a place for me, like a, a range of sizes I could possibly fit into, but when I had first signed, I was specifically on this one board that was more focused on runway and high fashion and like the skinnier aesthetic. And um, so I think that like the body image stuff, uh, I definitely like felt like I had to be a certain size to do the kind of jobs I wanted to do and get on the covers of magazines that I ultimately got on. And so, yeah, it was, it's kind of confusing, like in the moment, because you don't know what you're going to end up booking, but I know that I thought, okay, I have to keep this certain size if I want to book the jobs that I'm going to go for. And, um, yeah, it's like, it was kind of a strange situation, uh, to think back, but I think it's changed so much since then there's so much more acceptance for different sizes now that I don't think it's the same, but yeah, I was very focused on staying the size that my agency had on my comp card, which is the thing you give clients. And that ultimately meant that I wanted to like control my food in a way to be that size. Mm, got it. Got it. Um, so you're mainly doing like fashion shoots, runway models, stuff like that. I did everything. I mean, I was on the cover of several national magazines. I was in all the, I go, I could walk into Barnes and Noble any month of the year and for, for several years at a time and point to the newsstand and know that I was in at least one, if not two of those magazines for either a fashion spread or a beauty spread or an advertisement or on the cover um, because I was on the cover of basically every bridal bridal magazine they ever had. And luckily that meant that like my face was on the cover of a magazine pretty much anywhere in the U S at any given time. Like that was, there was a time in my life when that was like my thing. I was always on the cover of these bridal magazines and it was cool because that meant that like, even back in St. Louis where I'm from, my, my friends from high school could walk into the grocery store and see me on the newsstand and be like, Oh, Lucy's like on the magazine cover. So (laughs) it felt kind of cool to see like my work being relevant. Like it was like, I was a model and I was actually like actually doing big jobs. So what was the thing you're most proud of? Um, whether it was, uh, uh, you know, a a magazine cover or a, a certain shoot or Um, that's a great question. The thing I was most proud of, I mean, I'll always feel super proud of my L cover because that just Uh, is like to be on the cover of L magazine, just a big deal. And it'll always be there. 
And that's something that my agency said to me not too long ago, because I am still signed with an agency now, even though I'm not a full-time model, but they said to me, they're like, Lucy, you'll always have that L cover. Like that will always hold a place Mm -hmm. of like this model, Lucy Beatrix has done something. (laughs) If there's anything I'm remembered by, it's like, I have that cover, but I, um, I think that I'm also really proud of the, I don't know, I, any job that I was smiling, like I did a few beauty things for this company called Benefit Cosmetics. And when I'm smiling, I feel like that makes me just happy. Cause it's like a lot of the modeling jobs, they make you look so serious and dark and, but to have smiling stuff actually out there, um, just makes me feel like it's like my real self. <laughs> so yeah. I feel proud of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So like I said, I don't know anything about the modeling world, but it sounds like you were huge. You know, you're on the cover <laughs> of these magazines. No, 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 no. It's, it's funny. Like within the industry, I'm sure if another model listens to this, they're like, okay, like she did some cool stuff, but like I did it for a long time and I did some cool stuff and I made a living, which is pretty cool. But, yeah. um, I, there are a lot of bigger models than I am. Like there yeah. are like, there's different like ranges. And I feel like I was, on this certain level that was good, like really good, but not supermodel status. Like, you know, there's a whole other level that I never tapped into, but I made it work for a good amount of time. Okay. Right on. Cool. Um, when did things start getting, um, out of control, whether it was food or alcohol, or I I don't know what it looked like for you. Um, when did things start changing? Oh man, that's a great question. So the first year I was starting to flirt with some unhealthy behavior and I would, cause I was so preoccupied with trying to be this amazing Ford model. I would definitely take weekends where I just wasn't eating at all, mm. or I was learning how to not eat and then drink alcohol instead. And like this weird crossover thing happened where I became like the token drunk orexic where it's like, okay, I'm not eating, but I'm drinking and I'm getting away with that. And I can maintain a certain size if the majority of my calories comes from alcohol. Mm. And sure enough, um, then what really like took a turn was when I moved to LA when I was 23 for the first time, I used to live in LA in the winter times to work and stuff. And I was all alone and just went off the deep end with just not having a caliber, not having a set, not having a good enough routine to keep me healthy nutritionally to the point where I was just like extremely underweight and got so isolated and unhealthy and disconnected from what people do. Like, I just remember sitting in my car like picking out a spinach salad, just eating dry spinach, thinking that was enough to last me for the day. Like, I just didn't have any idea of what was normal. And I got really disconnected. LA is a weird place too. I think that I, that also added to it is just being in LA uh, alone. But, um, but at the same time, work was great. Like I was working, um, I was doing amazing jobs. I was making the most money I've ever made in my entire life. And so that's, that's the confusing part. Like you're like, here I was like dying and struggling and then also making so much money. So it didn't make any sense. And, uh, in my mind, and I kind of like fueled the problems and it fueled like this disorder in me. And then, um, when I returned, I, that's when my full blown alcoholism took, took center stage in my life. So like my mid to late twenties, I just really became 
the bona fide alcoholic of that's what my life was centered around. And my, my work started to kind of slow down. I wasn't working as much. And I, you know, I just, my life was really about drinking at that point. And, um, that's when everything started to kind of come to its head, come to a head was like Mm -hmm. my late twenties, late twenties. Yeah. So what did a typical day look like when you were in the height of your alcoholism? Oh gosh. (laughs) 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 Okay. So the, the height of it, like, you know, it kind of like, there's like peaks and valleys, but there was one, like the, the height of what drinking was for me was waking up whenever that would be looking at my phone and seeing, I had a bunch of emails from my agency asking if I could go to some job and then me replying saying I can't cause I don't feel well or something. Cause I'm like, you know, hungover or something. And then, um, going to the gym and burning off whatever I drank the night before, mm-hmm. like hustling away, sweating my ass off. And then as soon as I'm down at the gym, going to the, uh, going to the well, liquor store across the street to get a couple bottles of wine to reward myself for burning everything off at the gym and then getting home to the apartment and popping open a few bottles, making music with my crazy roommates at the time in this loft that I was living in and having friends over and then staying up all night and then waking up and having the exact same thing happen the next day of the agency telling me we have a job for you and I'm like I can't go I don't feel good like it was just that for like Mm. years but I I mean I'm smiling it's not funny it's bad it was that was like that was when it was working and it was like that's when you talk about like this like functional alcoholism but then you know a couple years go by and you wake up and you're broke like there's no money left and a lot of problems. And I started becoming an angry drunk and I would have these crazy fights with people and just like life started to really fall apart. Mm. I bottomed out and, um, you know, my life became really unmanageable. And so, yeah, like the, the, the saying that a lot of times people talk about in recovery is it works until it doesn't. And that's kind of how I see the beginning of the end there where it was working until it didn't work. And suddenly my life was in shambles and I had nothing else going for me. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So backing up just a tiny bit, it sounds like for a while there, you were making good money, but you kind of had this secret life that it's like from the outside, it looked good. You were making money, you had all this work, but then you were going mm-hmm. home and maybe drinking or not eating healthy. So mm-hmm. were you like hiding things from your family and sort of living uh, double life? Wasn't like, I love my family a lot, but because I was describing earlier, we're very, they were very independent. Like let, let me kind of go have my life. They didn't really know what was going on and they didn't really get that involved. Like my dad and I were very close and I would tell him kind of give him tidbits, but that stuff was kept pretty, um, under wraps. I mean, he was aware that I had some issues. Like he knew I had some food stuff going on or, or that I, you know, was drinking a little too much. He even brought up a few times. He's like, maybe you're drinking a little too much. And he could see in me even just some like inherited family stuff. I'm half Polish. My dad's family's Polish. And he was like, listen, we're Polish people have this thing with drinking and it's not necessarily the best relationship, but that he could recognize it. And he was like, just keep it in check or like, watch out. Like you're, you're drinking a little too much. And, um, but that said, it was never, I didn't really involve my parents with my problems too much. Cause I was just on my own. And I think a lot of it was just isolation. I think I didn't really have too many people that I was bouncing off of 
that saw me every single day at all times of the day to know that anything was really that bad. And like you're saying, because I was presenting that I was on top of the world. I mean, like doing all these amazing jobs and seeing like I had a pretty good life. Nobody really knew. I don't think that anyone actually ever really knew. It was until I decided when I bottom when I had my rock bottom that like I really had a problem that when I told people like, hey, I got sober, like, you know, when, when it came out that I was this alcoholic and I was getting sober, so many people were surprised and said, mm-hmm. oh, well, we thought you were doing great. And I'm like, that's great that I was presenting this way. I'm so glad that you have this vision of me that I wasn't a mess, but I was. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah. No, us functional alcoholics have a good way of hiding it. You know, when yeah. we're around certain people, it's like, yeah, you can hide it really well and, and present a certain way when inside you're in shambles sometimes. Exactly. Um, yep. And I get really good at, I got so good at hiding it. And like, that's, I mean, alcoholics are amazing liars and I got really great at lying and I got really great at masking what was going on and seeming like I was doing well. And yeah, but it, it just wasn't that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is probably not an easy question. What did rock bottom look like for you? Oh, rock bottom. I, I actually don't mind the question. I, people always like, has this, Hey, how was your rock bottom? And I'm like, listen, it was, it was bad. And I'm really grateful (laughs) it was bad because if it wasn't bad enough, I think it would be harder for me to know that it was the, the, the turning point. And yeah. I, I basically had, after a string of uh, just really weird encounters with people that were not good and not going, not my friends for the right reasons, I found myself just the most drunk I've ever been, a place that I didn't really know where it was and just picking up this pieces. I just really messed up big time without getting into too many details. My marriage ended um, because of this night and because I was like all over the place. And not only because of what I did, but because I just put a lot of people close to me in, I I mean, I hate to say it, but in dangerous situations just by being around the people I was being around. And I basically woke up that morning, the morning after my, my last night that I ever drank and I was so disgusted and ashamed of who I was Mm. and so terrified to face what I'd done that I was like, I can't ever feel like this ever again. And luckily somebody that was close to me, um, who was in the, in the rooms and recovery, I just called her and was like, I need help. Like, what do I, where do I go at this point? And she brought me to a meeting that day. Like when I got sober, that my first 24 hours, I went to a meeting and that was kind of like my first that was when I realized I could go down this other path and not have to wake up and have a night like that. I have to have to face my reality. Or I just like also like my whole thing became counting days sober meant counting days that I was no longer the person that I was at my bottom. And that was really empowering. And even to this day, like counting my days, I, I'm like, oh my God, it was that many days ago, 717 days ago, oh no, 721, <laughs> 721 days ago that I was the worst version of myself. So that's a lot of time. Like that's like every day that goes by, I'm like, okay, I'm putting myself, I'm putting distance between then and now. Yeah. So you make it sound really easy. Like I woke up, I was in a bad shape. I called my friend and I got into a meeting. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm guessing it wasn't that easy. And it takes a lot of guts to go to your first meeting. At least it did for me. 
So yeah. like describe that a couple days there. Like for me, there was just dread, anxiety, like depression. Oh, yeah. I was a mess. Worst. Oh my God. It's so crazy. And I actually think that the first few meetings are easier than the first few months later on. And like, yeah. my, I'm realizing all this in hindsight too, looking back, but the first few meetings I was like wet behind the ears, like, oh my gosh, okay, like, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to be like, you're, you get very excited by this idea of like this newness that is the like recovery you of this brand new person that you've never even met before, of like the recovered version of yourself. And that felt easier, like the honeymoon phase, like the first yeah. week. And I was like so excited to be part of this like new world. But then it was later on, like the first few weeks, the first few months of navigating life, like social stuff and mm -hmm. seeing, like facing my problems and mm -hmm. facing, if they also like closing the doors on relationships that didn't serve me, like people that were weird and try like taking advantage of me when I was an alcoholic, like having to cut people out, like all of that takes so much strength when you're also trying to get sober at the same time. And rewiring your brain to not pick up at like after going to the gym it sounds so silly but like like to walk past the alcohol store after mm -hmm. the gym I mean mm -hmm. to this day it's kind of like weird where I'm like this was my routine for so long to like mm -hmm. go pick up the bottles of wine and go grab a glass of wine at this local place or you know I like I had that in my routine for so long and to not do it is a totally different experience but it definitely isn't easy. And I think that like, even to this day, I mean, with the pandemic, everything there was like, there's been so many firsts of like having to navigate something for the first time as a sober person. And I'm, I'm learning how to do it even now. Like I like have tools and I'm like, okay, no matter what, I'm going to call someone else who's counting days and check in with them like every day. That's what I do. And it keeps me in it. Mm. But Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, I had like the trifecta of liquor stores, like three different places I would go to because each of the people that worked there probably knew me a little too well. And I was embarrassed that, you know, I've been at this place four times yep. this week. So I got to yep. go to this other store now. Yep. And I had the exact same thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It, and it's, it's I, embarrassing, but I'm just like, yeah, it's just a mess to I, be in. Um, oh, I had it. Um, so at the height, like right before my rock bottom or during my rock bottom, I picked up a job at a local bar. Um, I was working and I, I worked there because a, I needed to make some money and B, it was a really great way to fuel. Like I could like use, like I could drink on the clock and not have them. Like I would, like, it was like, I was saving myself a lot of money by working. Here. It was a very smart <laughs> idea. But that said, um, I was embarrassed by how much I was drinking that I would actually go before my shift at the bar. I would go to the, the liquor store down the street, get a bottle of wine, pour it into my coffee cup to go container take that to work, drink it at work. So that then when I started drinking, um, at work, it didn't look like I was drinking as much as I was drinking. Like that's the hiding. That's like the whole web of lies of like, okay. So like, they think I'm having a fun time at work. Like, Ooh, Lucy's drinking a lot tonight. And I'm like, they have no idea that I've been drinking this entire shift out of my coffee cup. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> God, I can relate so much. It all sounds so familiar. Like I used to have these cans of beer and I would open two at once so that it just sounded like one opening to my roommates on the other side of the oh wall. You know? <laughs> oh, the popping of the bottle. Okay. So I was, I was a pretty big Prosecco person and I would pop the bottle and I'd just be like trying to do it quite. Cause I'm like, they're going to hear another bottle being popped yeah. and just 
like so awkward and yeah, yeah totally yeah oh my gosh um did you find a sponsor right away um so no i didn't but basically i went to so the friend that brought me in the room she was a sponsor not to me but to other people and i just like kind of jumped on i just like used her constantly and also I've done that a lot. Like we're like, because I'm between sponsors even right now, but um, I just go to people I know who are sponsors and I just like piggyback off them. I'm like, Hey, like help me out. I don't know what I'm doing. So like, I'm, I'm actually a really unsponsorable person. I have a really hard time with authority. Uh, I mean, that's a token alcoholic thing to say, but I, I, I'm like, I, I use, so with the rooms and um, the recovery program, I, have definitely subscribed to this idea of like take what you want and leave the rest yeah and while super super important and i believe in sponsors i call someone like i have friends that are sponsors that i like call on the regular and i check in with them and i'm very diligent about um that stuff but i'm also okay with sometimes not being officially sponsored Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's like it's it's a touchy subject because like everyone's like Lucy, you got to get the sponsor. Like, what are you doing? And I'm like between sponsors, and so it just becomes the whole thing. But but no, I didn't have a sponsor right away. But I really relied heavily on my friends that were sponsors to kind of lead me through stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm totally with you. It, it's like yeah, take what works and discard the rest. Like, mm-hmm. me, like it's not a perfect program, but it's it's, it has the highest success rate and it's right down the mm-hmm. street from me. So it's like, why mm-hmm. not take advantage of this? It's like a dollar a meeting, you know, it's like, yeah. Um, it's, yeah. It's like the easiest, softest way. Like you hear of other, totally. other people getting sober, like doing these ayahuasca ceremonies and oh, God. Yeah. you know, there's other ways people do it. And if that works for them, fantastic. And I don't yeah. think that every single person who drinks too much should go into Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't think that's necessarily the answer, but yeah, for me, it's like, it's the easiest, softest way. And there's some things that don't work for me, but most of it, like probably 80% of it does. And uh, just, it is what it is. So if my math, if my math is correct, um, you must've gotten sober, like right around the start of the pandemic when everyone started doing zoom meetings. No. So I got sober May 13th, 2019. And then I had about 10 months of oh, life Okay. right oh. before my first sober birthday was when the show, I mean, I mean, a few months before my first sober birthday, March is when, uh, the shutdown happened in March. And then my sober birthday was in May, but I had to celebrate one year sober in the shutdown in the pandemic. And so, and the meeting stopped and or like in person and I didn't have, okay. So I tried zoom in the beginning and I was like, this just doesn't work for me in New York because I'm like either living in close quarters with other roommates and stuff. Like it just didn't work for me to jump on a zoom call and have talk about my life and my darkness and have like, you know, the whole point of AA is like, you're going to go sit in a basement and no one can hear you talking about your problems. And so I, it didn't work for me. And I ended up not doing zoom as much. I did a few, but I just wasn't really as into it. Um, and I just kind of made my own way of call the friends I made from the rooms, Mm -hmm. 
all the time. And so I just checked in with people. It became like a routine of just like, okay, I feel weird. I feel anxious. I want to go to a meeting, but I can't go to a meeting. So I'm going to call someone from a meeting. And that's what I would just do. Mm. But, and I listened to a lot of sobriety podcasts and just like kind of filled my head with it as much as I possibly could. Um, And then just, you know, that was really what kept me in it during the pandemic, as well as just running. I ran like a crazy person, (laughs) but uh, yeah. Yeah. The zoom stuff was funny in the beginning. Like it just didn't really speak to me. Yeah. Same here. Same here. Um, so that was going to be my next question is when and how did running fit into all this? So running had been something I was doing even before I was uh, sober, I okay. was running to get rid of what I did the night before with alcohol. That was a great way to do it. Like mm-hmm. I'd go, you know, after every couple of bottles of wine, I could just go run it off the next day. Like I was describing like the process of undoing what I did the night before with my drinking. Mm-hmm. But then when I got sober, uh, things really took off and I got really fast and I got highly competitive, like, uh, like on a ranking in New York and stuff, just like right. my times went to this whole other level. Yeah. And eight months after my, after my choice to get sober, I ran my first ever marathon, my first real sanctioned marathon. And I ran under three hours, which in itself, I ran 255, which is really competitive for somebody who really did that before. (laughs) And then, um, it went even crazier this past fall. So a year and a half sober, um, I started running times that were just like pretty elite and like really fast. And so, and I, I put it all back on like people are like, well, what did you run in college? And I'm like, no, no, I didn't go to college. I was modeling. I, but I, I got sober and somehow this like crazy drive comes from fueling my body to be the best version of myself and the gratitude and all of the insanity that came with like getting sober. I, I really use that in my running a lot. And I think that it's kind of a testament that my body is not I, I'm just using my body as this vessel to do really big things now that I'm not like poisoning it with alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. So do you feel like you have this sort of a natural gift or when you sobered up, did you, did your workouts change? Did you start doing sprint work and mixing things up a little I, bit more? I always had, before I got sober, I was really good at committing to endurance type running. Like I, I can run, like I can, I can go and put my head down and run for an hour a day. No problem. Mm-hmm. That I can do no matter if I'm sober or not. But when I got sober, I had this certain perceptiveness to uh, really think about training in a different way. And even just let myself, I got rid of this like stubbornness that I had when I was an alcoholic of thinking, I only want to run by myself. I don't want to, nobody can tell me what to do. I'm going to run my way. When I got sober, I actually entered and applied to run with this program with Nike. And I got in within Mm. the first week of getting sober, I applied like on a whim. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll apply to this. Like I I was perceptive to this possibility that I could run with them. And I did, and then trained with them. And like within training, you know, a few months of training with them, I just learned so much Mm. about how it works and how training is structured and stuff. And I really soaked it all in. Um, And I think that my perceptiveness there made me start to see changes. And I was like, Oh, there's something about this. Okay. There's, there's reasons why you do recovery runs in different paces. And I started doing track workouts for the first time, like really did the track workouts with faster runners than I was. So I could chase them and it started to really click. And I think that between my dedication and just training with people who knew what they were doing, it all came together and I saw what was possible, but yeah, I think there's like, 
there's some natural ability, but I think a lot of it is just like the mindset and um, ability to learn too. Yeah, totally. Um, when did your diet change? Was that before you got sober? Yeah. So food stuff has always been kind of funny because I have gone through a lot of different phases with it, but, um, I didn't know how to eat when I first moved to New York at all. Like, so back in the day, I had no idea how to eat. And I, like I said, and I think the article that you mentioned, I just was eating a lot of fast food and just like, didn't know. I was like, I didn't know what to do. I was like, I'm hungry, but I don't know how to buy things that don't have barcodes on them. So I literally didn't know. I would walk into Whole Foods and be like, oh, this potato, but I don't know how to buy it. Like, how do you buy? There's no, like, how they, and I didn't know they just weighed and all that. Like, I just, <laughs> so anyway, um, I would buy things that were like readily made, but my go to was just I would go to Starbucks and buy whatever packaged food was there and like eat that for dinner. It's so strange, but yeah. um, it was unhealthy and it was just like a bunch of like processed food all the time. But then slowly but surely, I started to fine tune this plant-based stuff, even when I was an alcoholic, like I was still drinking, you know, but I would like eat plant-based dish foods and just like learn how to cook. And I kept it really simple, but my problem back then was it just wasn't enough. So maybe I was going plant-based, but I wasn't eating enough sustenance. And, uh, you know, it wasn't, it was like a lot of my caloric intake was coming from wine. And so then I, I just didn't know how to fill in the gaps and eat like quality protein and carbohydrate and like things that would fuel me to do well mm-hmm. or like perform. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so food stuff was just kind of like this long process. I knew plant-based worked for me. That's one thing I knew even when I was an alcoholic is like, okay, mm-hmm. plant-based stuff seems to be working, but it took a lot of tweaking and fine tuning to get to where I am now, where I'm like, I have my diet on point and I know what works and I know how to eat to go fast and all that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a process. It takes a long time to to figure out and it's a little bit different for everybody. So there's, everybody has to go through their own journey, you know? Yeah. And, um, so, so what's your running look like nowadays? I see pictures of you and you're running on the track most of the time and I'm I'm a trail runner. So I'm looking at these pictures going, okay, how does she do this? Does she have just this crazy mindset where she doesn't mind going around in circles or like, Where's I mean, I, with it? I've definitely run on that track 76 miles in a row. Like, so one day there was a day my yeah. sober birthday celebrated my sober birthday in the pandemic by running 76 miles straight on that track. And, uh, that's 17 hours of just running on a track, which was, <laughs> but totally, I don't know. I look at that stuff and I'm like, it wasn't that weird. It was fun. It was so much fun. I like, yeah. I don't know. I like, yeah. I think I'm wired differently. Cause I just saw that as like such a fun day, okay. but my, um, yeah, I do a lot of running on the track. But I also do a lot of running on the treadmill, which surprises people because they're like, really the treadmill, but it's a softer surface than the Mm -hmm. city streets. Uh, I'll run on the city streets too. Like I I occasionally run commute to the photo studio that I occasionally work at and I'll like run to work. And so I'll run on the streets sometimes I'll run on the track sometimes and I'll run on the treadmill. So I kind of break it up, um, diversifying the week, different kinds of runs. And I use the treadmill runs to get really heady and listen to podcasts and listen to music and just zone out the mm-hmm. world. It's like mm-hmm. my me time. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, just think about life and stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, it's just kind of changes, but my day to day, uh, now with running is I always run. Like I, I, I take a day off maybe once every couple weeks, maybe depending on racing schedule and stuff, like when it makes sense to take the rest day, but I train 
uh, I train every day about an hour to two hours a day, depending on what the workouts are with the run. And then I do like calisthenics and core, uh, five days a week, sandwiching the run either before or after like body weight strength stuff. Um, some like lightweight stuff too, but my training, I kind of keep it within that two hour window. It's not like more than that, but I am walking all the time, which is my active recovery. I'm just always on the go. Even if I have to write an article or something for one of my various projects I'm working on, I'm doing it while I'm walking. Like I'm walking doing it on my phone or like, I feel like I'm always just walking around. Yeah. So you're always moving. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Um, it's pretty fascinating. So, I mean, you've come a long ways like recovering alcoholic. And now not only are you running super fast and at this elite pace, but you're coaching people like mm-hmm. you've come a long ways in just a couple of years. Like it's pretty incredible. Been crazy. Yeah. How do you feel about that? <laughs> Thank like, you. Like it's amazing. It's crazy to think about, but it all goes back to that choice of just getting sober. It really does. It's like, that was the moment. And I'm so grateful that I did it, but yeah. 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 Um, what would you say to other people that are struggling? Um, one thing I'll say that I've said, um, I, I, this is something that I always go back to is that the thing that somebody said to me was that, you know, if there, when I was struggling and I was at my rock bottom and it felt terrible, everything was horrible. And I was never going to be able to face my life or who I was and all this damage that I had done. My friend said, you never have to feel this way again. And that stuck with me. It still sticks with me to this day of like, I don't ever have to go back there. I don't have to. And it's like, you have the choice. You don't have to feel that way if you just stop drinking. And, um, another thing that I would say to anybody is that you're not alone. And there are so many more people just like you than you don't even realize. Like, Mm -hmm. I just like stepping into a room and hearing people talk about this stuff. I was like, Oh, there are a lot of people like this that all, we all, all have our life crap that we have to deal with. Mm -hmm. And we don't like, we all have issues with so-and-so and and like some friend or like, you know, like we all have stuff that we forget that a lot of us are in the same boat, but yeah. Yeah. Everyone thinks their story is unique, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's not really, it's, it's all just kind of industry standard. It's like, yeah, it's so (laughs) funny. And that's like part of why my, my, my thing where I call a friend whenever I'm feeling kind of nuts and like feeling triggered or whatever, call someone. Cause then I have them tell me about, Oh, like my, my son did this thing and like they have their problems. And they're like, Oh, everybody has a problem that they're dealing with today. We're all stressed out, but yeah. like, it, it's nice to have the camaraderie there. Yeah. And that helps so much to call somebody and ask them like what their problems are. It gets you out of mm-hmm. your own head. Um, that's mm-hmm. been a huge one for me. Totally. Um, what is your relationship with food like nowadays? Oh man, I love food so much. I eat a lot of food. I have like my go-to stuff that I eat on a daily basis. Just kind of like, it's my routine and I don't even really think twice about it, but I really enjoy my food. Like everything that I eat is what I want to be eating, which I think is kind of the best of both worlds of just eating healthy and feeling like it's exactly what I want Mm. and how I know it's going to help me be performing at the best at the highest level but yeah so food is great I feel really grateful that I have that relationship because I feel like I see so many people just not they like they either feel sad about food or they want to change how they're eating or they're like you know this and that I'm just so glad that I kind of like love my food routines (laughs) yeah 
How did you find that balance? Because it sounds like you struggled with food in the past. And then when you gave up alcohol, mm -hmm. a lot of people just rely on food to sort of numb out. How did, yeah. you, how did you navigate that? I, cause I think a lot of it has to do with the running and having, having such a really finite um, indicator of how my body is doing every mm -hmm. single day mm -hmm. based on what I ate the day before really kept me able to see the return. Like I'm like, Oh, when I eat a bunch of sweet potatoes and a couple block of tofu blocks of tofu and you know, this, this, and this like dark chocolate, I'm running so fast the next day and I feel great. And like that, having that, seeing it, it mm. made it so validating. I'm like, this seems to be working pretty well. And like, Oh, maybe I'll add a, a bushel of kale. Oh, wow. I'm running even faster. Like that's weird. Like it's like literally, it sounds so stupid, but that's like how it started working. Like you should hear the way I was talking to one of my friends about it, where she was, she suggested kale. She's like, Lucy, you should start eating more kale. And I'm like, Oh yeah, kale, whatever. A superfood. But then my, I was running so strong and she's like, do you think it's the kale? And I'm like, yeah, I think it's the kale. <laughs> so stuff like that. I don't know. It just like clicks. And then I'm like, now I can't go a day without eating kale. Like, and okay. I'm like, I'm like, where am I? And I'm like, kale is part of my routine. I'm superstitious about the kale. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, so you're still modeling. Yeah. I model here and there. Uh, it's on my own terms. I have this whole thing where it's like, I only work with brands that I align with and people that I'm like into. So I'm not going to, so I, you know, I had randomly this job came my way. It was for an alcohol company. And I was like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> not going to do this job. And I felt kind of bad because I said to my agency, I was like, guys, like, nope. And they're like, okay, it's fine. But I'm like at a point now where I can do that. And, um, but I, I do a lot of stuff for running companies and oh, cool. I do stuff for like fitness stuff now, but yeah. it's like tomorrow I'm shooting for a Swedish running company. And it's like, I kind of just, I get to choose how to do it. Like they, they were like, here, we want you to do this. And they just sent me a bunch of clothes and I got to choose everything about it. So I'm like, that's the way I like to do it. It's a very different kind of modeling than back in the day when I would just show up and have to be this like object, <laughs> but yeah. 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 Okay. Um, are you a sponsored athlete? Uh, great question. Okay. So I have an announcement that hasn't come out yet, but oh, I will snap. be this year. I'm not going to say who I'm not going to okay. say when, okay. but it's going to happen in 2021. And that's nice. been my life. Yeah. Um, the deal is being worked out right now. So it's all quiet, but, um, it will be something that's going to be announced at the end of May, if not like June, early June, but okay. yeah. Okay. So that's like the big thing is like going pro and like, that's, to me, I mean, like being able to be a professional athlete, like, and not be, it's just, it's like a crazy dream. And it's like something that I never even thought was ever possible for me, but, um, but that's something that's going to be happening this year. Wow. Congratulations. That's so cool. Thank you. Um, what races do you have on the calendar? What's coming up? What's in the future? I'm so glad you asked. I have a lot of <laughs> I'm doing this crazy race on Wednesday night at two in the morning that starts in Times Square. It's called the Orchard, Orchard Street Runners Bread Run. And it's this like six mile race. It's an underground race. So it's not sanctioned, but it's this thing that in New York we have where this race that's put on, it's through the city streets. It's crazy. People are like dodging cars and it's just like this nutty punk rock race. Awesome. At 2 a.m. on Wednesday. I'm going to try to win. Nice. <laughs> and then the exact opposite kind of race is happening in two weeks called uh, the trials of miles night at the track. And that's a track event, USATF 
times or people are trying to get to the Olympic trials with the, this race on the track. It's very official, like COVID test requirement, like all the crazy stuff, you know, like that's very serious. And so that's in two weeks. And then at the end of the month, I have very special under wraps, uh, ultra marathon that hasn't been announced yet, but I'm doing an ultra marathon, um, which will be fun. And, uh, yeah, so stuff like that. And then I'm also running the Copenhagen half at the, in September. So that'll be in Denmark. Um, and that's going to be an elite oh, race. Like wow. I, got, I got accepted to race elite, but okay. yeah. Okay. And are you looking at Olympic trials eventually? Is that the uh, plan? 20, I mean, for 2024, my goal for sure. So starting this fall, when the window opens after this Olympic cycle, this summer, so 2021 fall on, I can qualify for 2024. I absolutely want to qualify for the marathon. That's my goal for sure. Um, and I want to do it for not only just qualify, but qualify for the A standard, which is going to be like, it's like there's two standards for the marathon. There's like a B standard and an A standard. And the A standard is the more prestigious one where then the Olympics pay for you to come compete at the trials. Mm. I want to do that. And like, I mean, that's kind of a big moonshot goal to have far enough in the future that I think I can, but yeah. So definitely qualifying for the trials is a bucket list goal. And I believe that I can do it if I just keep putting my head down and doing the work. Totally. Totally. That is so inspiring. Uh, so cool. Um, I know you said the ultra marathon's a little bit secret and under wraps. Can you tell us the distance you're running? Uh, I will be doing definitely around 60 ish miles. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, and it's, it's a relay. So it's not just me. It's with okay. some other people too. And we're going to try to go for a record nice. for a certain, nice. <laughs> some people are going to be like, I know what you're talking about, but okay. yeah, but we're not allowed to say it yet. <laughs> okay. okay. Right on. Fair enough. Um, going back, tell me about your one year celebration. You said you ran 70 miles or something like that. 76 miles in a single day. Basically what I did was on my, for my sober birthday celebration, I was like, I'm going to just go to the track and see how far I can run without stopping. And I did it for 76 <laughs> miles, which was 17 hours. And it was really nuts and it was really hot. And a lot of people came out and saw me and watched me and were kind of shocked. And a lot of people saw me throwing up in some bushes and <laughs> it was I had a bucket by the track that I just would like go to the bathroom. Like, I'd be like, okay, guys, hold on. I never stopped my watch the entire time. I like kept nice. it going. Okay. It was kind of this like, um, performance and it was kind of a, I feel like it was just like, a. it was just a fun thing to do to like yeah. celebrate so bright. I'm like, I'm a year sober. How far can I run in a day? Yeah. <laughs> so how many people were out there watching you? Oh, tons. People came out all, all day long, just, oh, like really? coming out and going running a few miles with me uh and so did it, you like announce it that this is what you're going to do yeah. on this particular okay okay yeah the night before i kind of was like guys i'm gonna go run all, all day long i was trying to go for a hundred but i was kind of like i'll just see how long i can go yeah. and then got to a point where there was no return where i just got really sick and i was like i need to just stop and so then that was 76 miles <laughs> whoa i was wondering why you did 76 like what where did that number come from yeah but you just, just went that so you couldn't go anymore 70 to 76 took the longest of the whole day. Like the end, like the last few miles, I really truly was starting to like fall apart. So I was yeah. like, this is when to call it, <laughs> but yeah. So how many trips are on the track? Is that? Uh, hundreds. <laughs> I don't even remember how many. 76 times four. <laughs> yes, wow. Times four. So, so one pair of shoes. Did you have several pairs of shoes out I there? Out 
shoes um, a few times. Yeah, I kept changing my shoes up probably every marathon worth. So I think I did four times or three times, but yeah. Did you just have like a lunchbox of food or what were you eating? Uh, people were handing off food on the sides of the track to me. Like someone would hand me a banana. And I, okay. Like I remember at one point, this German girl who saw me on Instagram, she didn't know me, but she just like showed up and she had this banana and she wrote Lucy on it. And I was like, okay. Like, and I was like eating, like, it was really nuts. And yeah, that was maybe my downfall too, is because I wasn't totally the best with the nutrition and I should have thought about that a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's all right. It sounds like a great celebration. So it was fun. <laughs> so cool. So cool. Um, well, it sounds like you got a bright future and you got a lot coming up and a lot to look forward to. So, I mean, it's so exciting and, and you've come such a long ways. I mean, that's really, really inspiring. And I think, you know, people are going to listen to this and, and get inspired and, and people that are maybe struggling with alcohol or mental health or eating disorders, yeah. you know, I mean, all you have to do is like, make that decision, right? Once you turn that corner yeah. and you know, you're not coming back, then the sky's the limit. Like for me, like getting sober was like the hardest thing I've, I've ever done. And I've done lots of ultra marathons and all kinds of hard stuff, but then it's like, okay, I've done the hardest thing I've ever done. Like now mm -hmm. the sky's the limit now, right? I can do whatever. Exactly. It's so true. It's yeah. so true. And I also think that like, I just want to say too, like anybody who listens to them and they're thinking like, I don't know what to do. I make myself very available on Instagram as much as I possibly can. And I answer stuff. Like, I mean, I mean, it's maybe to my downfall because I'm a little bit too obsessed with Instagram, but like when people DM me and they're asking questions about like little specific things of how to get sober or whatever, I talk to people and I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying my, I feel like my gift now is to be this person who can give to however many people I can possibly touch. And if, you know, if that means reaching out on Instagram, I can't say I can respond right away, but I try to always respond. I try to be there for as many people as I can who struggle with the same affliction. Cause I know what it feels like to feel like there's no one out there. And I'm like, no, 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 you're not alone. I understand you. I understand exactly what you feel like. Mm -hmm. This is a shitty feeling, but it'll pass. And I just always want to be there for people. So I just wanted to make sure I said that. No, that's so cool and so helpful. And I'm sure people will reach out. And that's like the 12th step incarnate right there. I mean, exactly. Yeah. It's, I mean, just help other people. And, and that's it, what and it's it all about. Me in it so much more than anyone realized. Well, you obviously know, but like having, like having people call, come to me counting days and being like, I have seven days today. I'm like, that keeps me counting days. So yeah. 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 Um, you're back to going to live meetings now. I am. And I'm so happy. I went to my first live meeting, um, back from the pandemic the other day, and it was the best thing in the whole world. I was just amazed. I was just couldn't even believe it, but yeah, I it's, I'm so fortunate that they're, they're opening back up and they're outside right now. So that's, and the weather's good. So it like works out, but it's everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Lucy, it's an awesome story. I mean, you could write a book or a screenplay or something on your life, you know? I mean, I mean, it's like, I feel like the other thing is like my story is like, I want to write a book and stuff, but I'm like, oh, there's still so much to happen. Like, this is, this is yeah. chapter two. Like, oh, yeah, totally, totally. I mean, your, your running is still ramping up. You still have so much further to go. So, like, focus oh, on the now and focus on the next year and the next two years. And then when the running starts slowing down, that's when you pull the pen and the paper out. But, Totally. Exactly. How old are you now? 32, 32 years ago. and crushing it. I mean, you're just at your peak right now. This is, this is the time. 
Uh, Thank you. Well, keep doing what you're doing, Lucy. This has been so inspiring and uh, I think people are, are going to love it. So um, where can people find you? Um, on Instagram at Lucy Beatrix, L-U-C-I-E-B-E-A-T-R-I-X. And like I said, my DMs are always open and um, hit me up. I'm, I'm here for you. Awesome. Anybody you want to thank or give shout outs to or, or anything along um, the way? Anybody's helped yes, you? Yes, absolutely. I want to thank my beloved friend, Sam- Samantha Brown, for bringing me into the rooms and like just getting me sober. I was like number one and um, I missed her baby shower yesterday and I feel really bad about it because I was caught up and I feel this like the worst person in the entire world, but um, but I definitely want to thank her. <laughs> <laughs> She'll forgive you. <laughs> I hope so. Oh my gosh. Lucy, thank you so much for doing this. It's a great story. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep inspiring people. Keep helping people. Keep getting your story out there. I mean, you know, I have a hard time finding the guts to share my story sometimes. It's like, okay, I went through this thing, but I'm just kind of going to keep it inside and I'm not going to tell many people. But then when you open up and tell people, that's when people reach back out to you and say, you know, you helped me, even though my problems might not be exactly the same as yours. I can identify, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm sure that's Mm -hmm. exactly what it is for you. So just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Ah, this has been awesome. Well, listen, uh, thanks again. And, uh, you're welcome to come on the show anytime and have yourself a great night, Lucy. Just keep, keep it up. Yes. Keep kicking ass. All right. Talk to you soon. We'll see you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Isn't she the best? Come on. You got to give it up for Lucy. How cool is she? Thanks guys for checking out the podcast. Uh, This podcast is brought to you by us, by Big Things Crewing. Are you thinking about your first 5K marathon or ultra marathon? Big Things Crewing is here for you. We started this company in 2019 with the goal of helping people achieve their dreams. We offer coaching programs and training plans from beginner to elite, as well as offer crewing and pacing for ultra marathon runners. I love the sport of ultra marathon. It's been a passion of mine for a while, and I love seeing people cross that finish line. It excites me. It inspires me. If we can be a small part of your story, it would feed our soul in a big way. We know how to get you to rally and get you into that finish line. We want to help. We want you to do big things. Look us up, big-things-crewing.com. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to this podcast so that you're notified when a new episode drops. If you like what you hear, please, you guys, please write us a review. Share it on social media. We need all the help we can get. Let's blow this thing up. It helps us to be seen among all the other podcasts out there. These conversations are also on YouTube. Head on over there and subscribe as well. Find us on the social media platforms as Big Things Crewing. And as always, our website is big-things-crewing.com. We want to thank our sponsors, Exoskin, the best running apparel from hats to socks and everything in between. No blisters, no chafing, no odor. Check them out. That's X-O-S-K-I-N dot U-S. Use our discount code BTC, all caps, for big things crewing. That's a 20% promo code. Use it, you guys. 
Thank you to Athletic Brewing for making this possible. 20% discount code there is McRobertsA20. We're hooking you guys up with a discount on the best NA beer around. We also want to thank Will and On Pace Wellness. If you want to dial in your nutrition and do big things this year, look up On Pace Wellness. Mention this podcast for a 10% discount. Remember, guys, life is short. Do big things. Pedro, take us for a run, buddy.